We are called to be difference makers. There's no doubt that the scripture calls us to be people that are about the gospel. In this series, we've seen international missions, people making a difference internationally, making a difference through adoption. We've looked at local missions. And today we're gonna wrap up our Difference Maker series and we're gonna look at a story from the scriptures and we're gonna look at a story of our own Bell Shoals family member who's making a difference in people's lives. Church family, I believe that God wants to do something greater with gospel impact through you. Wherever you're at in your walk with Jesus, I genuinely believe that God is calling you to a greater impact for the gospel. You see, God specializes in using ordinary, regular people for extraordinary impact. If you're here today and you've become a follower of Jesus, then the moment you gave your life to Jesus at that exact moment, simultaneously, you were called to be on mission. It's not something you graduate to. It's not something you get educated for. It's not once you become a believer five or 10 years later, you're then ready to make a difference. No, you're called the moment you come to Jesus to make a difference. I've heard it said that, that God's kind of like a spiritual tornado. That when he pulls you in, when he saves you, when he calls you, when you become his children, instantaneously, he hurls you back out in your scent to be on mission, to be a difference maker. Today, if you got your copy of God's word, go to Acts chapter eight. Go to Acts chapter eight. Last week, we looked at the beginning of Acts eight and we looked at the life of a person named Philip. Philip is an ordinary follower of Jesus. He was a layman in the church. Actually, a few chapters earlier in chapter six, people in the church identified Philip as one that was following Jesus. They called him out to be one of the first, one of the first deacons in the church, but there was nothing special about Philip, except he was willing to follow Jesus. And he was doing incredible things for the Lord. We saw last week in the first part of chapter eight in Samaria, and we're gonna pick up in verse 26 of chapter eight this morning. We're gonna walk through this text this morning together and then I'll give us a few takeaways. We'll see what the Lord wants to do through this text this morning. So look with me in verse 26 of Acts chapter eight. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, not common, it hasn't happened to me recently, I don't know about you. But now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Well, reading that, it doesn't seem like there's much profound there, but Gaza was a once thriving city that had been destroyed and pretty much sat in ruins with no influence. People didn't travel to Gaza. People didn't go to Gaza anymore. It was a city in ruins as well as they believe there's two main roads from Jerusalem to Gaza. When you dig in behind the text, people believe that Philip was being challenged to go on the road that very few people traveled. So you have Philip here, 
being called by God to leave Samaria where God was doing a great thing. Why would you leave something that was going so well? Impact, difference. He was being a difference maker in Samaria. Why would he leave? And God says, go to a city of ruins and take a road that few people travel over a hundred miles away. Wow, that sounds really smart. Philip's friends probably said, don't leave. That makes no sense. Don't do it. But Philip, not even told why, was called by God to do something that didn't make sense. But in verse 27, the next verse, it says really briefly, and he rose and went. Just let that settle in for a moment. Philip called to go to a place that people didn't travel to. And Philip didn't know why, but his response, he rose and he went. And it says, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship in verse 28 and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now track with this, Philip leaves Samaria, goes to Gaza, travels on a road that few take, going to a city of ruins and he runs into royalty. He runs in to the minister of finance or the secretary of treasury for all of Africa. A massive entourage with servants and chariots and it was a whole production. And Philip, a regular dude strolling down the road, runs into this. This encounter would have only happened if he was willing to leave what was successful and go to a place of ruins, travel on a road few traveled solely because God called him to do it. It made no sense. And here he is connecting, having the opportunity to interact with a royal entourage from all of Africa. It didn't make sense. Kind of reminds me of a song that we sing here at Bell Shoals, Waymaker. There's a line in that song that says this, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. You never stop working. If I could sing, I would have sung that to you, but that would not help anybody in the room. My kids over here could attest to that. Their dad loves to sing, but he doesn't sing very well. So I won't put you through that misery. I'll keep that to my family. But here, the interaction would have never happened. And if he hadn't been willing to step into what didn't make sense for the sake of following Jesus. And here we continue in verse 29. We see that the, in 27 and 28, we see that there was a spiritual interest in this man. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He's reading Isaiah. There's some spiritual curiosity in him. In 29, it says this, and the spirit said to Philip, go over there, Philip, join this chariot. Now that sounds really easy to read and sounds really cool, but imagine your regular Philip passing by royalty, the entourage for all of Africa, the minister of finance, secretary of the treasury with servants and chariots and all sorts of stuff. And Philip rolls up and he's like, what in the world is this? And the spirit says, hey, why don't you go over there? <laughs> right. Like, you don't know what's gonna happen. You don't just charge the presidential you know, barricade. You don't do that. You don't know what's gonna happen. So look with me here, Philip in verse 30, let's see how Philip responds. So Philip ran to him. The Lord said, go to the chariot. 
And Philip says, I got one more, God. I'm gonna sprint. I'm gonna put all I've got into this. That's just right there, just pause. Go to Gaza, he rose and went. Find royalty, hey, go join them. And he says, I'll run over there. Immediate obedience. No debate, no discussion, no rationalization, no should I, no shouldn't I, this would make me look weird. What about my image? What might happen? What's the risk? He laid all of that out. And he said, you're calling me to do it, God? Okay, then I'll step into it. Then it says in verse 30 that he ran to him. And then it says this, listen, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Nobody told him he was reading Isaiah the prophet. He gets up next to the chariot. Here's this Ethiopian eunuch reading out loud the scripture. Philip knows the scripture so well that he's like, ding, Isaiah. And the track with that, what if you rolled up next to somebody in your workplace tomorrow and you listen to them and they were reading the verse and you're like, oh, that's Matthew chapter four. That's exactly what Philip did. He was like, oh, Isaiah. And then look how bold he is. He runs to the chariot, passes the servants, get right up to it. Here's it. And then he says, hey, dude, do you understand what you're reading? He says, are you smart? He says, hey, royalty, do you get what you're reading? That's almost arrogant, almost obnoxious, but it's bold. It's evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in Philip's life. Leave Gaza, go, join the chariot hear the scripture and says, hey, you know what you're reading? Folks, there's probably a lot we can learn from Philip just in those few examples about you and about me. There was nothing special about Philip except he was willing to follow where God was leading him. That was special. That was faithful. So we continue on. Let's see how the Ethiopian responds. He says, hey, do you get it? Do you know what you're reading, Ethiopian? This could have been the end of the road right there for Philip. The story could go and they killed him. You know, that could have been the story, but that's not. Let's go 31. And he said, Ethiopian, how can I, unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. That's incredible. Hey man, I don't understand it. Hey, whoever you are, random guy, come sit beside me, help me out. You know, his servants were like, I've been with you for years And I've never sat in your chariot and some random dude rolls up and you just say, come sit with you. What about me? Philip's boldness is evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in his life. An ordinary guy doing something extraordinary by his submission to the Holy Spirit. So let's read in verse 32 and on. The passage of scripture that this man was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And verse 34, and the eunuch looks at Philip and he says this, hey, Philip, whom I ask you, does this prophet say this? Is this about himself or is this about someone else? They read the passage and the Ethiopian looks right at him and says, who are we talking about here, Philip? He didn't know his name was Philip, probably. Who are we talking about? Can you give me some insight? Now imagine Philip's sitting there. He re- hears the scripture, it's all about Jesus. 
And he's sitting next to this man over all the finances for Africa, great influence. And he says, who are we talking about? Now, Philip again has another choice. Is he gonna tell him Jesus is the only way for salvation? Still a risk. He doesn't know how that would be received. He's been invited to explain it, but the implications of the explanation, he doesn't know how that's gonna land. And it says in verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, with that exact point, he told him the good news about Jesus. Just let that settle in. Look at the phrase at verse 35. If you're an underliner in your Bible, underline the first few words. It says, then Philip opened his mouth. Folks, some of us here have been living for Jesus for years amongst people, but we have yet to open our mouths. If your coworkers at work know that there's something different about you, but you've never opened your mouth, they don't know the why. They know something's different, but they don't know why. And Philip opens his mouth and speaks. It's not enough to just live for Jesus without opening your mouth. We've got to live for Jesus and then tell about Jesus. It's both sides of the coin. And we see Philip right here takes a risk and he does it. I want you to think about this. When was the last time? When was the last time that you opened your mouth and spoke about Jesus to someone who doesn't know Jesus? Now that gets a little awkwardly quiet, partly because I'm up here talking and you're listening, but partly because for most of us, that gets convicting because we realize it's been far too long since we've spoken about the good news of Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection and the hope that he brings to people that don't know him, yet they're all around us. So here we go on in verse 36, Philip tells him about Jesus. And it says in 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And this eunuch said, hey, see here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Obviously in their conversation about Jesus, baptism came up. And here the eunuch's like, hey, if that's a step of obedience, how about we do that now? Let's stop it and let's go do the thing of baptism. Hey, if you're here this morning and you've never been baptized, but you're a follower of Jesus, that might be your whole takeaway this morning. For you, it may be, the eunuch said, what's stopping me from being baptized? And I say to you, what's stopping you? If you're a follower of Jesus and you've never taken that next step to publicly tell people, I'm a follower of Jesus, because this Ethiopian knew this. When he gets out of the chariot and he gets in the water, he's telling everybody in his entourage, he's telling everybody there, hey, everybody, something's changed and I'm following a new guy and his name is Jesus. And all his servants are like, what just happened to our leader? For some of us here, that may be the takeaway this morning. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, then this Ethiopian eunuch 
heard about Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, that he loved him so much he died on the cross for him. They rose on the third day. He ascended to heaven. He's coming back. And he said, if you put your hope and faith in Jesus, your sins can be forgiven. Surrender to your life to him and follow him and your life can be transformed. And the Ethiopian said, yes. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, then my encouragement to you will be to follow the same story and you say yes to. Surrender to Jesus. Now look at me. In verse 38, it says, and he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into, they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, side note, when people get baptized, you go down in the water, you come up out of the water. It's good to come out. But remember, baptism is about going down in the water. That's what the word means. That's why here at Bell Shoals, when we baptize people, they go under the water because it's the picture that we see of what baptism is. So he's baptized in verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Not common, but it happens. And the eunuch saw him no more. But look at this. Look at this. See if this connects to last week for you. And the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Wherever Jesus is working, joy is what? spreading. Some of you remember that from last week. Wherever Jesus is working, joy is spreading. And this Ethiopian had found Jesus and he went away rejoicing because he found Jesus. Now, church historians say the story continues that this Ethiopian and all of his servants went back to Africa and they planted the first church on the continent of Africa and started a church planting movement on that continent that continues to this very day. And you can attribute all of the churches on the continent of Africa back to the Ethiopian eunuch and you have to attribute him back all the way back to Philip, an ordinary guy, a regular guy who said, yes, Jesus, where do you want me to go? Yes, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Yes, Jesus, this is weird, awkward, difficult, challenging, maybe costly, but I'm all in. And he had no idea that God would use him to help plant thousands and millions of churches across the continent of Africa. And 2000 years later, people in Africa are getting saved because it goes back to this guy, Philip willing to say, yes, I'll follow you, Jesus. That's amazing. That's called a difference maker. But he just was a regular guy submitting to the Holy Spirit. So if you look at this passage, I wanna give you three takeaways this morning, three takeaways. Number one, Philip's obedience was essential to being a difference maker. Philip's obedience was essential to being a difference maker. We've gone through all these things that Philip did to obey. It was costly, it was a sacrifice, it was a risk. It's about obedience. Some of us in the room have been at church a long time, been in Bible studies a long time, and that's a good thing. We need to study the word. But some of us are biblically educated beyond our obedience. Some of us, we need to stop being concerned about certain parts of the Bible we don't know and we need to start obeying what we do know. 
Yes, we need to dig in the word. Yes, we need to wrestle with the hard to study things. But sometimes we get so consumed with those things that we forget that really God's calling us to be an obedient child of his. And sometimes we get our focus off on the wrong things. Phillips was like, we don't know how much he really knew or understood, but we know he was willing to obey. Philip's willing obedience set the stage for salvation for one person and for an entire continent. Here's the second thing this morning I want you to take away. Here's the second point. God's plan to reach your neighbors and the nations is through you. You. That's his plan. That's his plan A is you. There's no other plan. Maybe you remember going to school as a kid and you remember group projects. And you do it in the group and you look around and be like, sweet. I got somebody diligent in this group. I'm bowing out. Someone else will do the work and I'll get the grade. Well, guess what, folks? We are the someone else. We are the someone else. We are God's plan. We are God's plan. We're all at a different place. We all have different gifts, but we can all be a difference maker. We've got different gifts, abilities, influence, backgrounds, platforms, finances, but we can all leverage whatever God has given us for impact for the gospel, not for our fame, not to make our name great, but to make his name great. That's what it's about. I want you to think for just a moment. I want you to just think. I want you to think about where you live. I want you to think about your neighborhood. I want you to think about your neighborhood for a moment. The place that you go home to every night, you drive away from every morning. What would it look like to be a difference maker where you live? I want you to think about where you work, where you go to school, students, where you spend those middle hours of the day. What do you think about that? People you sit next to in class, coworker that sits right in front of you, you eat lunch with every day. What would it look like to put a gospel lens on and be a difference maker at work or school? What would it look like to be a difference maker at the places that you frequent, restaurants, coffee shops, recreation, where you play sports, where you work out? God's plan to reach your neighbors and the nations is you. We just need to put a little gospel lens on our eyes when we're at those places. It may not be about going to different places. It may be about going to the same place you always go, but doing it with a different intentionality. That's what it may be about. Here's the third thing I want us to see this morning is this. Third thing is this. We already have what we need to be a difference maker, the Holy Spirit. We already have it. There's no reason for excuses now. We've already got what we need to be a difference maker. We've got the Holy Spirit. See, in Acts 6, two chapters earlier, they're looking for some of the first deacons and they looked around and they said, hey, Philip, he is a man full of the Holy Spirit. And earlier in the book of Acts, Jesus left and he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that when you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit goes from being out here to goes to being in here. And he takes up residence and he resides in you and inside of you and gives you everything you need. You got it all. There's no excuses. You have the same Holy Spirit that was in Philip that gave him boldness and obedience is the same Holy Spirit in you and in me. It's a matter of will we submit, follow, and obey. We've seen today that Philip's obedience was essential to being a difference maker. 
We've seen that God's plan to impact those around you is through you. We also see that we have what we need. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have what we need to follow him. Each week in this series, we've seen difference makers in the scripture. We've seen difference makers from Bell Shoals. We've seen ordinary people who have been on mission. This morning, I want you to learn in, lean in, learn about a family from Bell Shoals that's making a difference. Let's all see the story of the Segoto family together. Turn your attentions to the screens. born in Benin, Africa, in a city named uh, Kotonu, in a little tiny village. My father was a tennis coach, and my mother, she, she just, you know, prepare food and go to the market. My dad has two wives, so I had a, a stepmother and my mom, and together there was 16 of us in, you know, three-bedroom house, so everybody pretty much slept where they can find a space. <laughs> At the age of six, my father, since he was a tennis coach, he required all of us to start playing tennis. While I was playing, this guy, he just, you know, kept walking behind me looking at me, looking at me, and walking behind me. And I was like, dude, I'm trying to play, just move. So he went and talked to one of our coaches and told him, listen, uh, I really like the way this guy play. I would like to offer him a, a tennis scholarship to come to America. I had to leave everything that I knew, my brothers, my parents, my, you know, my friends, everybody. And at the age of nine, I came to the United States by myself. I first resided in Scottsdale, Arizona with, uh, with the Guardian. And then at age 15, he bought a place over here in Tampa. So we moved over here. Well, Paul and I met freshman week of our freshman year at Palm Beach Atlantic University. That first day, I mean, one of the things that was very distinct was he lived with a lot of passion. Like, just, I remember at the beach and he would talk about his people and back home. He was very passionate from that first day. He's just always had a heart for, for home. In 2010, I went back home and I saw the condition that the kids were playing under. I mean, the, the tennis court was still the same when I was young. So I left when I was like nine. You know, I went back in my late 20s and it was still the same. And the kids were still playing without shoes, broken strings. You know, they didn't have the proper equipment. The courts was like completely torn and, 
you know, and that really broke my heart. So when he came back, that's all he kept thinking about is what can I do? What can I do to help? That's when Tennis for a Better Life came about. Tennis for a Better Life is pretty much my story. <laughs> tennis have given me a better life. Through tennis, I have been able to, uh, you know, travel the world. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm here in America now because of tennis, you know, and obviously God's help also. But with Tennis for a Better Life, our mission, our goals is to, one, is to provide, you know, tennis equipment for the kids. Two, is to uh, resurface and rebuild tennis courts. Uh, three, is to make sure that we, uh, you know, organize tennis tournaments for the kids so they train, train, train. But the most important thing is for us to preach the gospel. That's why, you know, we keep going back, see the needs. There's more. Even when we went back this year, this. We brought so many shoes, so many rackets, so many clothing. But there's still more. There's still more need. You should see, you know, when we come out with, with the staff, how the kids are fighting all because they don't have. If we call ourselves Christians and we don't do anything to help, to help those needs, who's going to do it? I think it's all orchestrated by God. I came from nothing. I mean, even like, tennis is a spot for the wealthy. How am I, I was able to even like, come to America, my parents are nothing. <laughs> Slept in the floor when it rained, I mean, you know, we get beat inside the house. There was water coming. How was able to come here? There has to be somebody directing and, and orchestrating this whole thing. We all come in this world with a gift, and that gift is not just for us to just keep for ourselves. It's for us to help all the people with it. It's for us to uh, use the gift to follow the kingdom of God, because he's the one that gave it to us. So we need to make sure that we share it. So I don't know what gift you have, but God's giving you a gift. And the purpose of the gift to share it is to have your hand open like this so God can use it to bring other people to him. Well, church family, and we're so excited. What a great story of God's work in the Segoto family's life. And, um, Man, just to, to hear that story, that is inspiring. And it's a real story of real people that love Jesus. And uh, man, it's just so cool to, to get to know the Sagotos and to hear how God has been working in their life. And um, Anne, why don't you share with us a little bit about your family and uh, maybe your kids and just a little bit about your family. Sure, well, we are Pauline and Sagoto. We have four amazing kids. Um, our oldest is 14, her name is Faith. Um, then after that, we have Jeremiah, he's 12, then Jaden is 11, and our last baby is Grace, and she's eight years old. Um, we've been married 15 years. That's right. We met at PBA, like, I, like the video just showed, and um, we met Welcome Week, and one day I was coming out of the parking garage, he rear-ended me, and the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> and I did that on purpose. There you go. Trying to get her attention. Very strategic, yes. very strategic, man. That's awesome. 
you know? Well, Paul, I love, one of the things you mentioned in the video briefly was a little bit of your upbringing in Africa as a boy, as a little boy. Would you share with us maybe a little more just about your upbringing as a kid and, and uh, just a little bit about what you experienced as a young kid? Yeah, definitely. You know, I was just like one of those kids in that video that you saw, you know, just running around um, in my underwear, <laughs> having a good time. But uh, like you guys saw, you know, obviously I was born in Benin, Africa, and my dad was a tennis coach. My dad was a market. My mom was a market, you know, seller. She sell in the market. And, you know, life was challenging. Life was mm. challenging, you know, with 16 kids, <laughs> you know, sleeping on the door floor and everything. But one thing I remember was that my, par- my dad was saying, listen, you know, it's time for you at the age of six, time for you to start playing tennis. So I will go to, ten- I will go to school at 8 o'clock in the morning, mm. and I will come back at noon and come right to the tennis court. And I will train, 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 train. And that's, that's pretty much what, what the life was over there. You yeah. know, either you play tennis or you play soccer. That's incredible. Yeah. And it's incredible. Tennis was my path. So, yeah. <laughs> what, what a path to get to America was tennis. 100%. How incredible is that, man? Yeah. I played tennis as a little kid, but I wasn't very good. So we won't <laughs> talk about that. We won't talk about that. Man. But, you know, one of the things that intrigues me, Paul, is about your story is most people, if they got out of that circumstance, mm-hmm. And would get to America and the Lord begins to bless you in success. Most people would focus here, stay right. here. What is it about that causes you to have a heart? In a sense, I think you talked about going back home and cha- challenging, investing in the kids. What is it about? Why is it so important to you to, to go back home and invest in those kids? Yeah, there? definitely. You know, <clears throat> I, get, I get that question a lot. And what it is for me, God has done so much in my life. You know, obviously at the age of nine, I got a tennis scholarship to come here. Here, Here's this little boy in this village. I I wasn't thinking about America. I didn't know, I didn't even know about America, you know, but God took me from there, brought me to America. And then at the age of 15, my scholarship ended with my first guardian and I had to go back. Mm. And then while I was going back, I had a friend, his name is Tommy, they're in the audience right now. And he asked to, uh, you know, bring me back, his parents to bring me back. And they brought me back, uh, you know, to America. And God just been amazing to me. So I cannot, I cannot keep that to myself. I wanted to share that with, you know, those kids back home because I know their struggles. I know what they're, being, they're going through and all this. And so that's why I keep going back. Man, it's such a, yeah. a beautiful story that you could have been just self-focused mm-hmm. and gotten here and been like, I made it in a sense, and be like, you're going to keep it to yourself, but you're just continuing to push back into making a difference and, Definitely. and impacting. Help us understand mm-hmm. how tennis equipment and like you talked about some of your goals was the tennis equipment and the facilities and how does that impact kids and they hear about Jesus? How does that all work? You know, playing tennis and hearing about <clears throat> Jesus. Help us understand that, man. You know, with uh, a tennis for a very life, our mission, our goal is to meet the kids where they are. And that means, what are the needs? What do they need? As a tennis player, they need tennis equipment. They need racket shoes and all these things. And when we give them those things, that open doors for us to preach the gospel with them. For example, for example mm. you know, this past tournament that we had, there was a kid named Panty. And this kid wanted a tennis bag. For two years, he wanted a tennis bag, a racket bag. We didn't know that, but he won the tournament. And we gave him that tennis bag. It was the exact one that he wanted. And this kid just, you know, 
start crying, start bawling, and just call his parents. You know, I got the bag that I always wanted that opened the door for us to share the gospel, not only with him, but also with his, with his parents. Yeah, you know, it's we, incredible, man. You know, it's yeah. interesting when you meet a physical need and yep. you meet a need that a kid has or anyone has and you meet that physical need, sometimes it gives you permission. It opens the door Definitely. to then step in and to share. You have, you know, you have to show them love first. Yeah. You, know, you show them love first, and then you have to love them so much that they say, man, why? why? Why are you still coming back to do this for us? Yeah. And that just opened doors, you know. I'm yeah. doing it because somebody did it for me. That's right. God helped me. Now I want to help, help you. That's awesome. How yeah. does this kind of tennis for a better life right. isn't just a Paul thing. It's a Segoto family initiative. And kind of how does tennis for a better life how does that impact you guys, your kids, and how is that kind of a collective family family ministry? Absolutely. Um, you know, especially when you ask that question, he could have came here and be like, great, I'm on safe ground. Um, and I, I wrestled with that in the, in the beginning as well. Um, and because of his safety and, um, and just, you know, really just with the family. And eventually when I got on board and I caught that vision... <laughs> And I understood that the calling wasn't just about us and being married and, you know, doing what we do, but he had a higher calling for us. And once we okay. caught that, it changed everything. And so even now, when, um, when we started doing, we started with just the racket drive and right. we would go to different country clubs and we would um, create these bag, uh, little boxes and we would place them there and people would donate rackets and it became from rackets to shoes to clothes and our garage would get filled with all these things and um, we include the whole family. That's so right. when they come in, all of the kids, we're unpacking, we're sorting, um, we're cleaning the rackets, we're re-gripping the handles. Um, we're praying over mm -hmm. everything. And yeah. so it's all of us as a family on board doing this now. Um, yeah. And that's the vision through his story. So even taking your garage starts to come offline for what maybe it could be other things. And it becomes a storage hub yep. for Instead tennis for a better life. Instead of parking the cars there is rackets. <laughs> <laughs> rackets, shoes, clothes. Rackets, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What does it mean? And just, you know, as a parent, uh, Aaron and I have got four kiddos and you guys have got four kids and even Aaron leads a life group with one of your kids yes, in it, yes. you know. Um, but what does it mean as a parent to do ministry together as a family and even kind of passing on that legacy to your kids of it's not just about us, it's about impacting others? Well, you know, when we think about a legacy, um, it's a big question because it encompasses so much, but the first thing is loving God, mm -hmm. loving God with everything that we are, everything that we have. Um, and we do that best when we love other people, mm. um, loving them where they are, loving them without any prejudgments, without any preconceived ideas and just meeting them there. And then lastly, it would be just serving, serving people, yeah. serving, serving your community, serving your fellow man. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I said, and as they're watching us, they're doing it with us. And that's just the legacy serving. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yep. You know, Paul, yeah, you can clap. That's good. You know, we talked today, even in the message, Paul was about using what God has given us mm -hmm. for kingdom impact. And for all of us, that's so different. For you, that's tennis. That's right. Right? And so the Lord chose to use tennis, which Paul's actually still a tennis pro. Uh, so if you need lessons, I'm sure Paul can <laughs> connect you with Paul and he can teach you how to play tennis. But um, what would you say to maybe someone here at Bell Shoals who's online or in the room? 
that's maybe been wrestling with the God is leading them. We saw another family a few weeks ago using adoption was a passion. Right. Tennis is that for you that maybe the Lord is stirring in them a way to use their gifts and ability. What would you say to maybe encourage them today? Yeah, definitely. You know, at the end of the day, we are all, we come into this world. We all come into this world with a gift. We all, has a, we all have a gift. And that gift is for us to serve our fellow men. The Bible says, be a doer of the word. So not, not just read the Bible, you have to do. Okay, so I will encourage anybody that's here right now, if you have, you know, if God has brought you through something, it's not just for you. It's for you to help somebody else that's going through that same thing, you know. So get out there. Don't, don't wait. Just take action, okay. Have your hands open. Have your hands open like this so God can take and pull back. Take and pull back. That's, that's what I would tell people. Just mm. really use, use your gift to serve other people. That's right. And it you takes know? a risk. I'm sure yeah. you guys shared with me that when you were starting Tennis for a Better Life, there was, there was a risk. There was a, there was a concern. There was, how do we do this? But you just push through and look how the Lord has, has right. blessed Yeah, that. there definitely was the risk. And, um, you know, in the beginning when we were just doing this and he was telling me all this that he wanted to do, it was like, Okay, he wants to go. We weren't, we were, it was self. It was all self-funded. We right. weren't in that phase where we were fundraising or anything like that. Um, but, I mean, we just did, did our best. We just did what God called us to do. And, and he did the rest. Like I say, you know, if you see a need, just like the good Samaritan, you see a need, just go meet it. Meet it. If you're able to do it, get it done. That's and, awesome. you know, I know you guys call us the different makers, but we have the original different makers here, which was my parents that helped me, you know, came from Africa. So mm-hmm. if you guys, mom and dad, if you can stand up, Tommy stand. also, stand Tom, up. These are, these are the people, the originals, different makers. Without yeah. these people, you know, and God, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be here today. Like I was telling you guys, Tommy was the one that... You know, talk to his parents about taking me in, and they have been so gracious to me. Tommy shared his bedroom with me, so yeah. for me to come from Africa and just say, "Okay, I'm here in in America now. Let me just stay here," that would be selfish. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, Beautiful. going back, helping helping the kids, like, like they help me. Yeah, that's awesome. That's 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 what you know. That's what that's what I would want somebody to do yeah. for me. That's awesome. That's all I want so much. We love you guys. Thank you guys. Oh, love you. That's great. That's great. You know, and also maybe you're being inspired or challenged. Paul and Anne on January 9th are starting a new adult life group for young couples in their 20s. So if you're here and you're like, man, that's an amazing couple and you're in your 20s. Now, if you're in your 30s or 40s, meet them later. But if you're in your 20s, we'd love for you to jump in January 9th in a new young couples, a life group that they're going to be leading. And we're just excited. They're the difference makers across the globe, but even, even right here at, right here at we're, home. We're excited, buddy. Yeah, yes. we're definitely excited. We got married so young, you know, so. Yeah. yeah, we got married at 20, had our first at 21 and our last at 28. So we're like, ah, we figure we know a little something about that. There you age go. Group. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, man, let me just say um, your story has been so inspiring and really has challenged us and encouraged us. And here at Bell Shoals, we want to be a church that's about empowering our people, encouraging our people and standing behind visions and ministries that God gives you. And so we're excited 
to really be able to partner and be part of the ministry of what God's doing. And so today we've got a $5,000 check oh, for Tennis nice. for a Better Life. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And we're just... Thank you, uh, thank you very much. Yeah. On behalf of the children, thank you. Thank you. Yes. We're just thankful for however the Lord's going to use that for rackets. But ultimately, we love your heart that you use resources to get to the point of sharing the gospel. 100%. And uh, yes. man, we just, we love that. We love that. And we're so Thank thankful you, for your story. Well, we're so we're grateful, grateful to be part of this, of this ministry. And, you know, it's amazing how this church care about the, the, the commission, the great commission, you know, of yeah. Jesus, the yeah. great commission to yeah. go out there and share the gospel. So. Yeah, we were just so forward, like, wow, we're a part of a church that really cares about this. Um, and we're just so thankful to be a part of this church family as well. So Amen. thank you to you all, the church staff, and Amen. for all that yeah. you guys yes. do. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, man. Well, well church family, uh, you know, over the past few weeks, we've seen stories from the scripture. We've seen stories of Bell Shoals members that are really making a difference. And we hope that the Lord has used this series to encourage you to challenge you to realize that God uses ordinary people. The Wombles, the Adkins, the Sagotos, the Mares, just ordinary people willing to step out and follow what the Lord is doing in their life. And we would encourage you, however the Lord's working in your heart, respond to him today. Don't delay, don't let it go farther than what it needs to, however the Lord's working. And some of the ways that you could respond is we can be praying for the nations. You can be a praying person. Also, we've got mission trips. You could be going to the nations. We encourage you to consider going to the nations. As well as some of you are blessed financially that we can be giving even more to missions, to our global missions fund, to the general budget here at Bell Shoals of leveraging your finances. So we encourage you, and maybe it's what we talked about earlier of where you live, where you work, where you do recreation. How might the Lord be using you to be a difference maker in those places. And out in our welcome hall in the missions area, there's people that would love to talk to you to sign up to get prayer requests each week from our prayer partners, from our mission partners that are on the ground of how you can be about making a difference. And we just encourage you, church, however the Lord is responding today, don't delay because I genuinely believe that the Lord is calling you to greater kingdom impact. And so church, let's be difference makers for the sake of the gospel. Let's make Jesus's name famous. So why don't we, as a church family, let's just all stand together and we're gonna wrap up our time together this morning and let's just pray. And let's pray for the Lord to move in the life of Bell Shoals and the life of each of us today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the challenge to be difference makers. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be your children, your sons and daughters, that you've saved us from our broken position. And now you're hurling us out to be sent, to be on mission. And God, I pray now for those that you are moving in their hearts, that you're calling them to take a bold move for you. Lord, I pray that they would take action on that this afternoon. Lord, whatever you're calling us to, if it's the movement of the Holy Spirit in our heart, Lord, move us forward to respond and not to delay. God, we thank you for the series challenging us to be difference makers. And Lord, we pray that in the months and years ahead, that we'll continue to hear stories of how you'll continue to raise up people from Bell Shoals to be difference makers in big ways and in small ways. God, we love you. 
And we thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, send us out to be your ambassadors. In Christ's name we pray, amen.